right, let me uh, pray on behalf of our study, and we will dig in. Heavenly Father, thank you that now we get to continue our worship. We get to set our attention on your scriptures. Thank you for John chapter 14. What, a, what an amazing passage of scripture. I cannot do justice to it. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give me words, that you would give me conviction, passion, love, that you would open all of our hearts, open the eyes of our understanding, convict us where we need to be convicted, encourage us where we can be encouraged, minister to us, equip us for the work of ministry and to better live this Christian life, to walk this Christian walk. Receive glory. May you be exalted to the highest place in our gathering, Jesus. You're worthy of it all. So please receive our praise and our worship even now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, then you should know that God is your Father. That's kind of basic. That's kind of Christianity 101, right? God is our Heavenly Father. He is our Father. Now, that may be more or less helpful depending on your relationship with your earthly father, and I know that differs for so many of us in this room, but the reality is that we will best understand God, the God of the Bible, if we understand him as father. He is our father in Christ. If we are not in Christ, then he is not our father, but he has always been a father, and I'll explain what I mean. Now, there are many ways in which we can describe God to others. For instance, we may rightly say that God is uh, God Almighty, creator and sustainer of all things, and that is true. That's right, and that is good. But I would submit to you that it still may not be the best way to think of or communicate who God is. There's a book called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves, and he describes this thing this way. He says, if God's very identity is to be creator and ruler, then he needs a creation to rule in order to be who he is. For all his cosmic power then, this God turns out to be weak because he needs something. He needs us. The most foundational thing in God is not some abstract quality, but the fact that he's a father. Amen? The most foundational thing about God is that he is father. So perhaps... The best thing to consider is, what was he doing before creation, right? If we're to understand God in a more deeper, more foundational way than as creator, what was he doing before creation? He existed as Father and his triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells us explicitly in John 17, 24, he says, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. You loved me before the creation of the world. This is the God revealed by Jesus Christ. Before he ever created, before he ever ruled the world, before anything else, he was a father loving his son. Amen? He's a good father. He's a good father, and he gives good gifts to his children. And that's really the, the title of the message today, Good Gifts from a Good Father. James 1.17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He doesn't change. 
He's totally consistent. He's a good father always. And every good gift that we receive is a good gift directly from our good heavenly father. And Jesus urges us to go to him on this very basis. Jesus says you can go to God as a father, and you should. And for that very reason, we can come with confidence. So Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. He's talking about prayer. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Then Jesus gives this very interesting illustration. He kind of compares our heavenly father with an earthly father. He says, which one of you, if his sons asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would he give a serpent? Now, that's easy enough for us to understand, right? When my daughter comes to me and wants a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I don't say, okay, how about snake? And then throw a snake at her, right? I don't do that. I would not do that. That's insane, right? Well, God our Father wouldn't do that either. How much more would God our Father not do that? Jesus says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? He gives good gifts. Now, you may recall last week we began to consider the Holy Spirit. We began to consider the, the hope from the helper. You may remember that specifically was the title of the message. We've been considering hope, the different facets of hope. Last week we started talking about how God has given us hope through the Holy Spirit. That's the context that we are currently in. And so we're going to consider some of the good gifts that the Father has given us through the Holy Spirit as we continue our way through John 14. So that's, in a nutshell, kind of where we're going here today. Good gifts from a good father by way of the Holy Spirit. And so with that, that brings us to our first point, and that is we receive the gift of a helper through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper, and the Holy Spirit comes to us by the Father. So look with me at verse 15 in John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Now, I, I just have to say that these verses are deeply Trinitarian, not to get too, too far off into that. It's a very complex uh, you know, theology, the Trinity, and we are thoroughly Trinitarian, and, and we must be. God has revealed himself as that. That's what he is. One God, distinctly three different persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are co-equal, co-eternal. And we see all three of them in this text working together. Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father, and the Father is going to give another helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And I will say, I think it's easier for us to understand the Trinity to a degree when we understand the Trinity and how we relate to the Trinity. So God, having loved us, determined that he would send his son Jesus to die for us. He suffered there on the cross in our place, rose again from the grave, ascended into heaven, 
And the Holy Spirit came forth from the Father and the Son to regenerate our hearts, to fill us, to seal us, to sanctify us, to see us to the very end. And that is how we relate to each person of the Trinity. And I'll give you one. There's a technical word for this. Someone in here, this may be helpful to you, but it's called the economic Trinity for any of the Bible geeks in here. That one's for you. I'm just showing you some love, all right? Well, last week we focused on the intercessory aspect of these verses. Jesus said he was going to go to the Father on our behalf. He intercedes on our behalf. And then we talked about how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit even prays on our behalf. Romans 8 talks about that. But today I want to consider a little more carefully the fact that we have a helper. We have a helper in this life. I want to consider the different facets and aspects of that, the ministry of the Holy Spirit as our helper, because this is a gift from the Father. Jesus said, I'm going to ask God, and he's going to ask his Father, and the Father will give to us this comforter, this helper. Now, the Greek word, the original language in which the New Testament was written, the word is parakletos. It's a compound word, and it literally means called to one's side, called to to come alongside. There's not even really a good English equivalent to this word, so it can be translated called to one's aid, an advocate, an intercessor, a consoler, a comforter, a counselor, a helper. And so typically the word helper is used, and that's an extremely broad word. And I think the idea there is that it's all-encompassing. The Holy Spirit is for us what we need Him to be. Amen? He is for us what we need Him to be because He is a gift from the Father and He is here to help us. It's a somewhat all-encompassing word. You know what? The Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. It's impossible apart from the help of God. We need the Holy Spirit. We need His help. We need everything that God affords to us. Amen? Can you feel me? Can you dig that? I mean... You know, come on, testify somebody, because we need everything that God gives us, and nothing less will do. Thank God that He has given us a helper to run the race. So let us lean in, let us lean upon the helper that He has given us. Let us understand the ministry of the helper. And so, just to name a few things, the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is He regenerates us and sanctifies us. What does that mean? He gives us a brand new heart. Jesus says you must be born again. That literally means born from above. It's a a spiritual birth. It is coming alive in Christ. The Holy Spirit does that. He gives us a new heart. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. But then he sanctifies us. And that, that literally means set apart. It means to be made different. And so he does it in an instant. God sees us as different in Christ. God looks at you. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your failures, your doubts. He doesn't see those things. He sees the work of Christ on your behalf. He sees Jesus' righteousness. That's our position before God. That doesn't change. But then the Holy Spirit also sanctifies us progressively. He's working on us. He is making us more and more into the image of our Savior, the one whom we love. He's changing us. It is the helper that does that. We cannot change ourselves. We can't. I'm sure many of us here 
try on a regular. We try to improve ourselves. We want to be better. But the reality is we're always so frustrated because the bottom line is it's God. It's the Holy Spirit who changes us. But good news, He's committed to it. It's going to happen. Regardless of our failures and our weakness, it may not happen in the time that we want it to happen, but it's going to happen because He's committed to it. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God gave us His helper for that very cause. The Holy Spirit is a comforter and a counselor. We need that, don't we? We need comfort in this life. We need the Holy Spirit to minister God's Word to us in our greatest times of despair and hurt and anxiety and fear and failure. And the Holy Spirit does that very thing. He brings the Word to bear upon our lives and He ministers to us. He brings other people into our lives who are filled with the Holy Spirit to share the love and the comfort of Jesus to us. The Holy Spirit comforts us, and He is our counselor. It's His wisdom that directs our lives. It's His guidance that makes all the difference. God has given us guidance by the counselor, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and warning. You have a promise in the Scriptures that if you need wisdom from on high, wisdom from above, it's yours. You have to believe that by faith and receive it and walk in it, obey it. But the Holy Spirit is a counselor. He's a wise counselor, and he dispenses God's wisdom from his word. And he warns us. He gives us discernment. We're able at times to know. Kind of the red flag goes up. Something's not right. I can't even put my finger on it, but what this person is saying is not consistent with the word of God right? We've all experienced that. That's discernment. The Holy Spirit does that. Even for new believers, they don't even necessarily understand all of this yet, but I remember as a new believer seeing and hearing things that just did not add up. What was that? It was the helper. It was the counselor. It was the Holy Spirit warning me, giving me discernment. We need that in this life. I mean, consider how crazy the world is, and it's getting crazier by the day. I mean, by the minute. And where would we be if we did not have God's Holy Spirit, His helper, giving us the wisdom that we need to make it in this crazy world where the world says that what is bad is actually good? The wisdom of this world is pure insanity. The wisdom of this world, you know, I I better, let me just reel it in because I could just go that direction for the rest of our time. Praise God that we have true wisdom from above. We have wisdom that never changes, doesn't change with this ever-changing age. Just as our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so is His truth, and it is just as relevant, just as relevant, and we have it in the Holy Spirit. The helper, the Holy Spirit, illumines and convicts. That is to say that He opens our eyes to His Word. This is the Word that the Holy Spirit moved in the hearts and minds of holy men to pin down, and it has been preserved from generation to generation, translated into a language that we can read, and we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, so that when we read this word, as I like to say it, the Holy Spirit just throat punches you, right? I mean, He just hits you right in the heart, just pierces you to the core. He convicts you. He opens the Scriptures. He allows you to see things that you may have never seen or could have never understood apart from the helper, the Holy Spirit, ministering to you in that way. It's a living word, amen? It's living. It is active. It is sharp. 
And the Holy Spirit cuts right to the core with it. The Holy Spirit gives us strength and boldness. We need that. We need the strength of God because the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. We want to be able to do so many things for God, yet we find that in us is not the ability. In us is not the strength, but not by power nor by by might, but by His Spirit. Amen? By the strength of His Holy Spirit in us are we able to walk in the commands of our Savior. And that is so cool. God didn't say, do this, now good luck. He says, do this and live, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to help you. You're going to be able to do this. You're going to be able to experience my best for you because I'm giving you the helper who will be with you, who will give you strength and boldness. As I've already said, in the day and age that we live, as crazy as things are, we have to be more bold now than ever. Bold as a lion, okay? We have to be. And the Holy Spirit will enable us to do that. God has given us a helper to be able to do that very thing. Now, I know we often wonder what would we do in certain situations, especially if it were a life or death situation. I was, um, I was riding to, to class recently with, with my professor. I was able to catch a ride with him, and uh, we were talking. He was over in India ministering to pastors, and he was telling me about a, a, a horrible persecution that had, had uh, it broke out there in that region, and this guy was chased down at gunpoint, and the guy had the gun on him, and he just started laughing almost laughing uncontrollably. And the guy with the gun asked him, what are, you, what are you doing? And he said, when you pull that trigger, I'm going to be with my Savior. And the guy was so amazed by that, he put the gun down and just walked off and left him there. How in the world, who, who can muster up that kind of boldness? The Holy Spirit gave him what he needed in that moment. Point blank. That's all it is. Apart from the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't have done that. Self-preservation is the number one instinct. Preserve self at all costs. Only the Holy Spirit would have given him that kind of boldness. And so you can have that confidence. When you need the boldness, the boldness will be there because you have the helper. The Holy Spirit gifts us, gives us spiritual gifts for service and makes us fruitful, gives us the fruits of the Spirit. That's amazing to me. We have all that we need for life and godliness in this life. Because the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts that we need to serve the body of Christ, to be uniquely gifted, to build up the body of Christ. And then the Holy Spirit causes fruit to be born in our lives. And I love that because, you know, fruit, it just comes forth naturally. We don't have to, we don't have to manipulate the situation in Christ. We abide in the vine. We'll be talking about that soon. The Holy Spirit will bring forth these supernatural fruits in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The only reason I have that list memorized is because we used to sing it in children's ministry, the fruits of the Spirit. I'm, I'm tempted to break out in song. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Don't tempt me. And so, um, praise God for the fruits of the Spirit. But I would say the fruits aren't even limited to that. What about thankfulness, gratitude? Would that not be considered a fruit? There are so many wonderful things that the Holy Spirit brings to bear in our lives that would not otherwise, that we are not by nature. 
And so praise God that he does that. Praise God, if you're a believer, you have a gift, or maybe more than one gift. And the, bo- the, body says, or the Bible says that we're baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. We're baptized into the body of Christ, and we are given gifts according to the sovereign will of the Holy Spirit so that we can serve. And if we are not there, if we're not present, the body suffers. The body suffers because it's missing a couple fingers and a couple of toes and a kneecap and an ear, right? We need to play our part in the body of Christ because the Holy Spirit has called you here. He has gifted you, and He will bring forth fruit from your service. He will make you fruitful in your service, and that abounds to the health of the body of Christ at large. You're so necessary. I want you to understand you are necessary here. We love you. We are glad that you are here. You belong here. God would have you here. He would have you serve here. So get in the game. If you're not in the game, get in the game. Get after it. Get after it. Serve him. Well, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was with them and that the Holy Spirit would be in them. The Holy Spirit would be in them. And I mentioned last week, this is radically new stuff. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people and leave David prayed, take not your Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit would come alongside and and help, but the Holy Spirit would now dwell within us because of Christ, because of what He has accomplished. And I would submit to you that, keep this in mind, the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit is really the key to understanding these following verses. So the next point, point number two, so the first one is we receive the gift of a helper through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, two, the gift of adoption by the same Spirit. The gift of adoption. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Praise Him. An orphan is fatherless. An orphan has no parents. An orphan is alone in the world to fend for themselves. In Jesus God the Father becomes God our Father. He's always been a father, but he becomes our father when we trust Christ. And we, his beloved children, we never have to go it alone, for the Father is present. He's present. He's a present father. Many of us may have had fathers in our home, but maybe they weren't entirely present. He's a present father. We are adopted This is such significant language the Bible uses regarding adoption. You know, it's not that we were, and I've said this many times before, we weren't just forgiven, we were adopted. God could have said, you're forgiven, there no longer remains punishment for you, now get out of my sight. Could have done that, but he didn't. He said, not only am I going to remove your sin as far as the east is from the west, I'm going to bring you to my table. I'm going to bring you into my family. You're going to be my child forever. Now, adoption in the ancient world, in ancient Rome, was a regular thing, and they would do it oftentimes to provide an heir and a recipient of the inheritance of the family. Sometimes there might even be an heir to the, uh, to the inheritance, but they might consider this child to be you know, a derelict. He's not going to do a good job handling handling what's entrusted to him, and they would adopt somebody who could. I mean, talk about a slap in the face, right? 
But adoption was a very regular part of that culture and society, so this would make so much sense to the people hearing this. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Jesus said, I will not leave you, I will come to you. You will no longer be an orphan. God sends his Holy Spirit and we become adopted into the family of God. Chosen of God to be his children, to be his heirs, co-heirs with Christ. And you know, from eternity past, God had you in mind. Ephesians 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I would encourage you to read Ephesians 1 for yourself and pay close attention to this verse. We have received every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. The next 10 or so verses outlines for us all of these spiritual blessings. So that's the way that that chapter is structured. And so he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Listen to this, in love. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. From eternity past, before you were ever even a thought, a blip on the radar, God had you in his mind and his heart. God had you in his mind and in his heart. And he had purposed that you would come into this world, that you would come to the saving knowledge of his son, that you would be adopted into his family, that you would receive all the blessings and the rights that comes with that adoption, and that you would be safe and secure forever, and that one day you would worship him in total glory and bliss, and that from before the foundation of the world. That is security. That is hope. That is comfort. That is love. Amen? We are adopted. Praise God for that. And he'll never leave us or forsake us, because he's a good father. He wouldn't do that. This brings us to our third and final point. We have the gift of fellowship through the Holy Spirit. The gift of fellowship. Now, I use this word fellowship way too lightly. It's one of those things where it really loses its significance. And I will admit, I mean, it's just one of those those kind of church words, and I run with it even more than most people. But in it is just such a profound truth. Um... It's really the idea of common, the idea of having something in common. There's a commonality. And so that's why we will sometimes refer to the word communion and fellowship. They're synonymous. And so we have this common bond, and the commonality is Christ in us. That is deeply profound. And so because we are in Christ, we are one with the Father, and we are one with each other 
And we have a fellowship, we have a bond, we have a love, we have a mission that this world knows nothing about. There is a closeness here that is so much deeper than any actual physical relative, uh, you know, bond between blood, family, relations, and kin. That's why when Jesus was preaching and his mother and his brothers were coming for him, essentially, and he was told this, he turned to the crowd and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Those who do the will of my Father in heaven are my mothers and my brothers. And so there's this deep fellowship that exists between us and the Father through the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, it says, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, Jesus speaks of a time when the world would see him no more. He says, however, the disciples would see him. Now, the Bible does indicate that when Jesus uh, rose from the grave, it was only his followers that saw him. He revealed himself to many people, but only to followers of Jesus. So, in that sense, it is true. The disciples would see him again, but the world would not. But I think that's probably not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus says that because he lives, they also will live. They'll know that he is in the Father, and the Father in him, and they in him. And So, clearly, this goes beyond the disciples just witnessing Jesus' post-resurrection. The key is, in that day... Pay close attention to that. In that day, you will know. In that day, you will know. Because as I live, you also will live. What is that day? It's the coming of the Helper. When the Helper comes, when you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you're going to know. You're going to know. Because I live, you will live. We will be made alive in the Spirit. Alive in the Spirit and adopted by the Spirit and united to the Father and the Son by the Spirit such that Christ's accomplishments become our accomplishments because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Amen? That's why the Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The Bible says that we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. We are united to Christ through the Holy Spirit, united to the Father. It doesn't get any closer than that. It doesn't get any closer than that. And Jesus says in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now that's amazing. Whoever has my commandments and keeps me loves me. We've talked about that already. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and reveal myself to him. God loves his creation. God loves the world. He created man in his own image. And the world does enjoy good things from God. We call that common grace. God allows the sun to rise, the rain to fall allows us so many blessings the world over, so many different means of common grace. Coffee, just to name one, right? What a blessing from God. The whole world gets to enjoy. And so, in that sense, there is a love that the world experiences. 
But the world that is outside of Christ, the unredeemed, those who are estranged from God, they don't experience the ultimate love of God. It's a very special and unique love that the Father has for the one who is in Christ, for the one who has had all their sins paid for on the cross, for the one who is born again, made alive by the Spirit, for the one that has been united to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. There's a very special love that exists there. God's love for that person, it's so amazing. God's love for us, God's love for me and for you if you have trusted Christ. God the Father delights in the object of His love. He delights in it. If you're His, He delights in you. Is that amazing? We know what it is to take delight in things. We all delight in various things, whether it's our children or our grandchildren or whatever the case may be. There are so many things, whether it's our spouse, whether it's a hobby, or whether it's uh, a, a particular job. I mean, you, you fill in the blank. We all have things that we delight in in this life. If we have no delight in this life, it's a miserable existence. And there's nothing wrong with having things that we delight in. But God, how much more does God delight in those who are the objects of His love? God desires the good of the object of His love. Amen? God loves you and He desires your good because He delights in you. God's love, the Father's love, is not conditioned upon performance. He doesn't delight in you because you do such a good job. And praise God, because we don't do a good job for the most part, really. We fall short. We fail. But God's love, his, the Father's delight, is not conditioned upon our performance. The Father's love is active and engaging. It is personal and it is present. And it is sacrificial. Oh, the height and the depths of His love. More than we could ever comprehend. A.W. Tozer says this, From God's other attributes, we may learn much about His love. We can know, for instance, that because God is self-existent, His love had no beginning. Because He is eternal, His love has no end. Because He is infinite, His love has no limit. It's limitless. Because He is holy, it is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because He is immense, His love is incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea before which we kneel in joyful silence and from which the loftiest eloquence retreats confused and abashed. I could repeat that like three times because it's deep, it's beautiful, it's glorious. Praise God for His love. And I would just draw our attention to this one thing in closing. If you delight in Christ, the Father delights in that. He says, whoever loves me and keeps my commandments, the Father will love him. That's an incredible thought. The Father so loves His own Son, has taken such delight in His Son from all of eternity that He delights when we delight in His Son. Isn't that the way that it is? If there's something that we are blessed by, if there's, whether it's a, it could be something as silly as a YouTube clip, but we watch it, we, we like it, what do we want to do? We want to show it to somebody. And when they laugh or get a kick out of it, we delight in that. Now, that's a very 
trivial illustration, but you get the point. You know, when, when we see other people delight in the things that we delight in, it blesses us. And the Father, the Heavenly Father, delights in His Son, loves His Son in ways that we, you know, we just can't compute. And such that when we love the Son, when we delight in the Son, when we keep His commandments, that brings such joy to the heart of the Father. And here we're talking about this closeness, this fellowship that we enjoy, this oneness with the Father. The Father loves us and we love Him. And how can we most bless the Father? By loving His Son. And how do we love the Son? By keeping His commandments. And how can we keep the commandments? By His Holy Spirit, whom He has given to us. Truly, from Him, through Him, to Him, and for Him are all things. All to the praise of His glorious grace. He's such a good Heavenly Father. Not one good thing does He withhold from those who love Him, and He has given us all that we need. He has given us a helper. We're not alone, folks. Brothers and sisters, we're not alone. We have a helper in Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I, I implore you, I plead with you, I urge you, I beg you, what are you waiting for? What do you think that this world has for you that is better than what God Almighty, the Father, has for you? This world has nothing for me. I've figured that out. I want the Father and all that He has. I need, I need that. And I know that many of us in here have come to that place. We recognize that. The allurements of this world, of Napa Valley, I know it's shiny and it draws you in, right? It draws us in. It, it wars for our affections and our devotion. But do not be deceived by that. True satisfaction, true fulfillment, true joy is found in eating from the bread of heaven, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Maybe you've come in here and you struggle with shame, you struggle with regret. Jesus suffered that on the cross. He suffered shame and mocking and beating. He suffered that so that we don't have to. We can lay that down. That shame is removed. Those failures are gone. Those sins are erased. The Father says, I distinctly remember forgetting those things. Why do you keep bringing it up? You can have that. You can have that freedom, that forgiveness, that love. You can have the helper. You can have that joy. You can have that kindness. It's available to you. All you have to do is believe. Trust Jesus. Say, I believe that you are who you say that you are. You're the Son of God. And that you did for me what you said you would do. You died in my place and rose again from the grave. And that you really can give me what you say you can give me. And that's eternal life and joy everlasting and forgiveness. And I need that. I receive it. No longer do I trust myself and my own goodness. I forsake that and I trust Christ. I believe Him. And I need what He has for me and nothing else will do. You can have that right now. Right where you sit. You can have that if you just believe in your heart. Amen? Believe and confess. Believe it, confess, receive it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We give you praise and glory and honor. Praise and glory and honor be unto you. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, he who sits on the throne.
the one before whom all the angels of heaven fall on their faces and cry out, holy, holy, holy. The one before whom one day this whole world will bow its knee and confess, King of kings and Lord of lords. We humbly and gladly bow right now. We gladly humble and bow our hearts before you and declare we love you. You're good. You're such a good father. Thank you that you have adopted us. Thank you that you have not left us alone, that you have not left us without the resources that we need to live this life. You've given us your Holy Spirit. And thank you that we have such closeness and intimacy with you, Father, through the Spirit. You're a good Father, and you give good gifts to your children. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. You're holy. You're amazing. We bless you, Father. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.